0: here's a listener question. I can double my income, but my family will suffer. Should I go for it? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, I'm so delighted you joined us here for the 48 Days Radio Show, For each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that is, in fact, meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. That's what we do here. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. Well... Hey, we've got a bunch of questions today. I thought about making this a shorter holiday version, but uh, we'll see where we end up. Got a ton of questions. Good news as always. So we'll just see where we go with this. Here's some of the questions. Dan, one of my employees resigned, but now wants to stay. Should I keep him? How about this? I want to sell an online course, but only to people who share our conservative values. We'll talk about that. Dan, I'm a 19-year-old man with a passion for farming, but I have no money. How can I do this? I'm going to give you some neat tips, some real-life examples. You can do it. And then the question, the elephant in the room, I started off with, Dan, I know I can double my income in 2018, but my family will suffer. Should I go for it anyway? Wow. We got the good news, more questions. We got a Cliff Feitner poem for today, as always. This one is about making money. How will you get paid for your skills? Will it cover more than the bills? Will what you bring to the table say you are way more able to earn the pay and the frills? Thanks to Cliff, a faithful member of the 48 Days Eagles community, for his ongoing poetry to inspire us all. And then a quotation. This one comes from Henry David Thoreau, who said, Wealth is the ability to fully experience life. Now, we know that Thoreau took an unusual approach to what it means to fully experience life, went off to Walden, learned that he could work for six weeks a year and make a comfortable living doing that, spend the rest of his time experiencing life. So we'll, we'll unpack that some. If you've not set your goals yet for 2018, uh, certainly please, please do that before we roll into the new year you just go to 48days.com/goals got a free worksheet there work through that decide now what you want next year to look like i mean that's the way it happens don't just wait and see what shows up you decide what it is you want to happen and then the reality comes into view now this is not just some simple cheap mind game you know positive mental thinking just imagine a ferrari in your driveway and it's going to be there tomorrow morning no but having a clear sense of what you're headed toward gives you a clear direction and all of a sudden the how-to becomes much more possible so please I encourage you to do that again go to 48 days.com slash goals and get your free worksheets for that well I've got a couple updates from good news I've got a lot of confirmation just recently again from uh, people who enjoy the good news. I certainly do love finding it. I've got a follow-up to a couple of the stories that I've done previously. One was about last, last month, there was a guy, Johnny Bobbitt Jr. He made the headlines because he used his last $20 to help Kate McClure during her time of need. Now, if you remember that story, she ran out of gas. Uh, in kind of outside our town. It was a dark, deserted area, ran outside of gas. The first person who approached her was a homeless guy. Now, you know what you're thinking is. He said, look, if she didn't have any money. She didn't have any cash. You know, had credit card. didn't have any cash. He said, that's okay. I'll go get gas. He says, get back in your car, lock the doors and just stay here. Well, he returned sometime later had used his last $20 to purchase some gas gave her some gas. She, you know, wanted to pay him. He says, no, don't worry about it. You know, glad to help somebody out. Well, she started, she learned that he's a homeless veteran of the Marine Corps. Uh, She set up a GoFundMe page and told the story and wanted to raise money for Johnny. Well, that little campaign on a GoFundMe page went pretty ballistic, ended up accumulating over $400,000. Now get this, as the donations soared, Johnny, the guy who's recipient, here, he asked her to please stop the campaign because certainly there were other people who needed money more than he. Isn't that an amazing spirit? They took the page down. It was down for 12 minutes. They received an outpouring of messages from people insisting they still wanted to give their money to Johnny. So here's what they've done. Now, this is really playing out in a responsible way, you know, rather than him just going to buy that Ferrari that he's been married. Now, in order to ensure that Johnny will never have to worry about money again, the donations are being managed by an attorney and a financial advisor. They've already set up two trust funds in his name. One of the funds is set up to be giving him a yearly salary that'll take care of his daily living expenses. The other will act as a retirement fund for his future. Now, he did just buy a very modest house, so he has a house to live in, and he said he also plans on treating himself to his dream car, and check this out, his dream car, a used 1999 Ford Ranger pickup, that's what he wants. Now, I know cars, a 1999 Ford Ranger pickup, eh, it's probably worth about a 1000 bucks. that's what he wants. So he's not just balling through the money, but what a neat story. He put up a note, you know, said, sorry uh, for the lack of updates, but I've been pretty busy the last few days, as you can imagine. Just wanted to let you all know that thanks to all of you and with the help of Kate and Mark, I was able to purchase my new home yesterday. The feeling is indescribable and it, it's all thanks to the support and generosity that each and every one of you has shown. I'll continue to thank you every single day for the rest of my life. Well, just a neat conclusion or not a conclusion, but the next chapter of a story, guy down on his luck, better into the military, took his last $20, got spent $20 to get gas for somebody to help him out. And it turned into an amazing blessing. Well, cool story. Now, uh, this has probably been about a year ago. I talked about a little girl. Her name is Makila Ulmer. And she... (laughs) turned her grandmother's flaxseed lemonade recipe into a national business. Now this started, she was 11 years old at the time. This has now been, she's now 13. But her mother suggested she research bees because this little girl got stung twice in one week. And her mother suggested she research the bees and it might help her conquer her overdeveloped fear of bees. So she learned about, bees. And she learned about the plight of bee populations that were dying from colony collapse disorder. And she decided she had to do something about it. She decided she could add local honey to her grandmother's lemonade and sell it. And then with a portion, what she really was interested in was giving a portion of that money to protect the pollinators. So she's donating 10% of the proceeds to saving bees. Now what happened? And there's kind of the rest of the story in here. She actually got a deal on her own as an 11-year-old that put her B her uh, lemonade sweetened with honey in whole foods she had made about $60,000 and then she got on Shark Tank and Damon John offered her $60,000 for a 25% stake in her company well since that time a whole lot of things have happened she was invited to the White House. She leads workshops on how to save bees. And now that bee, me and the bees, lemonade is sold in 20 states. In 2016, it sold more than 300,000 bottles. Uh, 10% of the profits go to charities, including Heifer International, the National Park Services, and a Sustainable Food Center of Austin. Now, this little girl, who's now 13, she has ambitious plans. She wants to expand geographically as well as go into other products. She wants to lead primarily the nonprofit arm of this business that she created. She wants to finish college. Of course, first she has to graduate from high school. She's actually still in middle school. But what a cool story to have. She got stung by bees, decided she wanted to research them. She was then concerned about saving bees, even though they had stung her. What a great reaction to that. And turned it into a little business, got on Shark Tank, Damon John invested. She's now in 20 states selling her lemonade. Well, love those kind of stories. Love where somebody takes action, turns into something good. Here's another one in that vein. And then we'll go into some of our questions for today. This is a cool story. It says coffee and a muffin at a restaurant drive through saves a stranger's life. Now, how did coffee and a muffin do that? Let me tell you how every day that Glenn Oliver orders his morning coffee at the Tim Hortons drive through window, he insists on paying for the order for the person behind him. He also asks the restaurant workers to tell the customer to have a great day in case they're not already having one. Now he's never made a big deal out of his own generous actions. He just always considered it to be something, you know, he could do to help humanity. Just pay for the person behind me. You hear about people doing it at a booths, whatever. After a letter was published by a news website in November, he found out that he had not just bought someone their breakfast, he had saved their life. Now, this is according to, in the newspaper, someone had written a letter. This is in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. Someone had written a letter stating that on July 18th, they were planning on committed suicide. The anonymous writer said that while they were at the Tim Hortons drive through in Pickering, Ontario, they were planning on going home, writing out a note, ending their life, but when they went to pay for their coffee and muffin, the cashier told them that the man in the SUV in front of them had picked up the tab and told them to have a great day. I wondered why someone would buy coffee for a stranger for no reason, said the writer. Why me? Why today? If I were a religious sort, I would take this as a sign. This random act of kindness was directed at me on this day for a purpose. When the writer arrived home, he began to sob and think about the simple good deed that had affected him so deeply. He says, I decided at that moment to change my plans for the day and do something nice for someone. I ended up helping a next door neighbor take groceries out of her car and into the house. The writer says that in the months following that fateful event, he now tries to do at least one kind thing for someone every single day and which as a result has enriched his own life in more ways than I could have imagined. To the nice man in the SUV, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And know that your kind gesture has truly saved a life. On July 18th, 2017, I not only had a great day, I had the greatest day of my life. Well, and the guy who did that continues to do it. Course he teared up when he got the notice and read what had happened. He says it's the least I can do for some people. It's like holding a door open, just doing a small, insignificant thing to help somebody out. Well, I encourage you, each of you, to do that, especially here during the holidays where so many people are aware of their aloneness, aware of their failures, and maybe considering, you know, is life really worth living? golly, just a smile, a small deed of kindness, holding the door, paying for somebody behind you, picking up the tab for somebody's groceries, giving an anonymous gift, getting an angel off an angel tree. I mean, who knows which of those little things can lead to dramatically changing somebody's life, giving them hope for the future. Well, I commend all of you who I know are doing things like that. Uh, Joanna and I certainly are looking for opportunities and finding lots of them to do special little things here during the holidays as well. All right, let me grab some questions here. We'll see how far we get. Uh, Alma says, Dan, thanks for your podcast and the opportunity to receive insights. A few weeks ago, one of my direct reports informed me that he was going to resign to go start his own business. I was so disappointed and tried to get him to stay with no success. He then put in his resignation and served notice. Rather surprisingly, he's informed me last week that he's now willing to continue with us, not in the current position, but one that i had offered him previously to work part-time so that he could have time to start his own business. And I offered that when I was trying to persuade him to stay. A big part of me is excited that he's changed his mind because he's excellent talent and great executive, greatly respected by the whole team and a key person in our organization. But there's a small part of me that's uncomfortable in that I might be setting a precedent by allowing someone to rescind their resignation. This person is a real treasure who does their job well. He's an effective role model with a whole skill set that I would struggle to replace. What would your advice be to me? Shall I fight with human resources to have him stay? Yes, Alma, you need to fight to have him stay. Now, here's the deal you know, good people are hard to find. If this person has been the kind of employee that you're talking about, absolutely keep him. Don't punish him for having put in the resignation and now changed his mind on that. I mean, if it's a reasonable fit, make it a reasonable fit. I mean, we see people who have been terminated from companies where the company then goes back two years later and offers to rehire them because their needs have changed again. I mean, the workplace needs are changing dramatically. We know there's volatility in the workplace. And for you to have to go try to find somebody, you mean to find somebody who just quit another job? I mean, where you don't know their history? No, by all means, just bend over backwards to keep this good guy on your team. No harm done in that. It's not setting a bad precedent. I mean, you can you can fire somebody and change your mind two weeks from now, or the layoff is doesn't need to happen. I mean, but again, things change so dramatically. If you know this is a good person, keep them absolutely. Now this comes from Travis, who says, Dan, after trying to conceive for over seven years, my wife and I went the adoption route. We managed to do this debt-free in 11 short months. We had the cost covered nearly $30,000 after seeing God provide for us in this way. I wanted to start an online course, helping people adopt debt-free. However, since we're conservative Christians, we specifically want to assist folks in this process who share our values. I want to have people fill out an application and a statement of faith before they're eligible to get the course. I know you recently began doing applications for 48 Days Eagles. Here's my question. How can I best go about this? How can I make this process efficient with a short turnaround time between application and acceptance so I don't kill my sales prospects? And then he puts, P.S. My wife also recently gave birth to our daughter. Well, congratulations on that. Wow. Very cool. All right. Cool on a lot of parts. Not so cool on another couple parts here. Let me address this. We recently began doing applications for 48 Days Eagles. If you go to 48dayseagles.com, yeah, you'll see there that you can apply. I review those. Now, we know that there are a lot of people in the 48 Days Eagles group who share values and, and meaning, you know, share their explicit faith values. However, I don't have any kind of criteria judging those in advance. I want people to come into that community knowing that they're going to encounter other people who are caring, encouraging, supportive. And I don't think there's a direct correlation with those characteristics and what a person's particular faith perspective is. Now I know that this is a touchy area for a lot of people, but I think you're way off base in trying to create a course, and limit that course to people who line up with your particular faith perspective and having them sign a statement of faith. Now, for one thing, you're going to put a great big old red target in the middle of your back for all kinds of not only criticism, but lawsuits in doing this. I mean, I I can't offer 48 Days to the Work You Love. Let's say that I have our online seminar and you know, it's very, it's very faith-based as an example. People know that about me. You can go to our website and read things and certainly are going to have a pretty clear understanding of my worldview. World but I have nothing that eliminates people whose perspectives are very different than mine from purchasing that course. Not just that, wow, it's a way for me to get more money, but it's a way for me to spread the message that I think is important. And I really don't understand you're trying to eliminate people who somehow are a little bit different than you in your worldview at this particular point in time from experiencing the wonderful process that you guys were able to go through to prepare for your adoption. Now I'm going to put in the show notes today if you go to 48days.com click on the podcast notes you'll see an employer's guide to faith in the workplace i mean there really is it's a very well done pdf employer's guide to faith in the workplace and it addresses situations like this but title seven which is what you're going to run into i mean title seven is the big thing that's what prohibits discrimination based on race color religion sex national origin I mean, as an employer, you cannot consider race, color, religion, sex, national origin, ancestry, age, veteran status, marital status, or the existence of a non-job related disability when making those decisions. You you cannot say that you're only going to... I mean, look at the national news recently about people who make wedding cakes and decided they didn't want to sell a cake to a particular couple that came in. I mean, you just can't do those things. I mean, if you want to somehow have just a Christian organization and be explicitly that be a nonprofit, yeah, there are some things where you can kind of narrow down, but I don't understand your rationale in doing this. Frankly, I mean, if you have wonderful, useful material for people who want to adopt, I mean, get it out there. You can have as much of your faith integrated into the process in the course as you want, but, um, I think you're, I think you're way out of line in what you're trying to do here. Not only in terms of you're going to get yourself in a whole heap of hot water, but I I just think it's the wrong thing to do, frankly. Well, hey, let me just jump off my diatribe there for a little bit. Just add in a quick note here. You're listening to Real Life Questions. I love the questions coming in. Believe me, Uh, of all kinds, things that challenge me, that's fine. But send your questions. Uh, You can go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link, you'll see a way there that you can write it out there. Or you can just send an email to askdan at 48days.com. Most people find that the easiest way to do it. Again, just shoot me your questions in at 48 or askdan at 48days.com. Now this comes from Graham. I love this question. Graham says, I'm a 19-year-old young man with a passion for farming more specifically building pastures and soils by grazing livestock i've been farming on at least a small scale for over seven years and i've recently done a couple of internships but i'm not farming right now and i'm looking at how i can make this a career as i'm sure you know from your background farming requires a lot of upfront capital to get going but like most individuals my age i don't have much money to get started I could work full time doing something else in order to raise capital, but I have little experience credentials or interest in other areas. And I thought of working for several years, doing something I don't like makes me cringe. I appreciate any advice you can give me. Well, Graham, I love your question. I love your, your heart, your desire to be involved in farming. I think it was just last week where I talked about, you know, statistically uh, how millennials, what a big percentage of millennials are choosing farming for what they do. Now they're not choosing to have, you know 6,000 acres of you know pesticide-laden soybeans, but they're, they're usually choosing other kinds of farming. And you can do this. I mean, what a, what a worthwhile kind of thing to do. Now I want to give you a couple secrets here, a couple ways that people have done this. Just this week, I got a note from one of the people who I loaned money to through Kiva. Now Kiva is an organization kiva.org, where people are given micro loans, little amounts of money to move forward in businesses that they have. Now, what I did, this has been probably six or seven years ago, I put in like $200 in that and then divvied it up, you know, $25 here, $25 there. Now, I haven't added much more money to that. But I have the pleasure of going back and relending that because it's always paid back. It's always paid back in full with stories about what those people did. So if I loan $50 to a guy from Ecuador who can buy some tools and start doing auto mechanic work and then he pays the money back and now has a business that supports his family. I mean, how cool is that? To watch that. And I've done that over and over and over again. Well, just this week, I got a note that a young guy that I had loaned a small amount to had raised in its entirety, the money he was looking for in four days. Well, the guy's name is Benjamin. And here's the interesting thing. Benjamin was looking for $10,000 to start his little farming operation, $10,000 he doesn't live in Ecuador. He doesn't live in Costa Rica. He doesn't live in Nigeria. He doesn't live in Kenya or Ghana. He he lives in North Carolina. You know, it's interesting. and, And I kind of hesitated because we think about people really being in desperate need as being in third world countries but there are worthwhile things to be done and good people who need a hand up right here in the good old us of a. And so Benjamin was one of the recipients and yeah, he raised his $10,000. There were 180 of us as lenders who helped provide that. And now he's able to start his little farming operation. Now here's some of his story, but I want to tell you how he started as well, because he didn't just start by asking for money. But Benjamin says, I grew up in Northern Virginia, moved to Charlotte. I became interested in nutrition once it became evident that exercise alone wasn't enough to maintain optimal health. My research into nutrition led me to sustainable agriculture and the lack thereof in many of our conventional systems. Well, he, he says, I lived in a camper for two years in order to save enough money to rent a little farm. He started volunteering at another local farm, and then he was introduced to the Lomax Incubator Farm. After volunteering for a year, attending monthly meetings, he started his own little farming operation. So what he did was—now there's, there's more to his story— He says, in October of 2015, my little brother passed away suddenly after a long struggle with drug addiction. He and I were only 13 months apart. We grew up together. I was overwhelmed by a sense of the fragility of the time we have in this earth and decided that if I wanted to follow this dream and become a farmer, then there was no time like the present. So in early 2016, I left my full-time job, made the leap to farm full-time. Now what he's got is a small-scale produce farm with lots of greens and pasture raised eggs in concord north carolina just north of charlotte he says i market my produce directly to customers at a farmer's market run a small csa serve various restaurants in concord and charlotte so he's building this little farm now here's what he did and i want to come back really to your question here graham because you can do this he went to the elma C. Lomax Incubator Farm. That's a 30-acre farm that offers an eight-week training program for individuals interested in starting a small farm-based business. The training provides classroom instruction on the business of farming. It's in Concord, North Carolina. What Benjamin did, he went there, went through the program, he stuck around, he volunteered there for another year while just living in his little trailer. So he lived on essentially nothing, volunteered, kept learning, and then he put out on Kiva the desire to have $10,000 to increase the equipment that he had. So he said he purchased a walk-behind tractor, paper pot transplanter, Jang Cedar, flame weeder for my small-scale produce farm that is... He's in his transition away from an incubator farm. We've seen people do this with GoFundMe, where people provide funds. But I would encourage you to get involved in a farm, an existing farm, where you can work and learn. Learn on their nickel, so to speak. But learn, keep learning. I mean, there are places that our neighbors have. Our neighbors have 18 acres, and they have uh, a you-pick garden, but they also have plots that you can rent very inexpensively where you can experiment with growing some produce and selling it, start to bootstrap your money to get on up. I mean, there are ways to do this. Now, Again, Benjamin, the guy I'm talking about, did it through Kiva. You can check that out, kiva.org. He put in there his request and got $10,000 in four days. So if you have a clear plan and uh, a little bit of history on what it is that you want to do, I think you can walk right into that and do it rock and roll. Wow. Well, I could go on about that. I love that. Love that question. Love the possibilities there. All right. Well, I'm going to just do one, one more here. We'll wrap up with this. We'll make it a, a short segment today. This, this is really significant, a significant one to end on with because of the time of year we're in and rolling into the new year. So this comes from well, I'm going to just, we'll say this comes from Chuck. And Chuck says, I'm in the process of making my 2018 goals and I'm having trouble. Last year, I made a goal of doubling my income from $53,000 to $107,000. i have passed that goal and I've made 115000 this year. Okay, now think about that. Just unpack that a little bit. So he made 53000 in 2000." 16, it would be, yeah. In 2017, doubled that, 107,000. He's passed that goal. I am happy I achieved my goal, but it did require a lot of work, long nights and weekends. My problem is that if I set my income goal at 160 for 2018, I'm afraid I will reach it. So he's at 107 this year, double that would be, well, not quite, it's not, he's not looking to double, but if he says, says his goal at 160, he knows he can reach it. But if I do, my family will suffer because of all the time spent working. I work as a real estate appraiser and get paid per report. Should I set my goal lower? Is it an odd thing to be worried about it, but it is bothering me. Thanks. Chuck, man, I love your question. I love what you've accomplished. Congratulations on that. Should you set your goal up again, another 50% knowing that your family's going to suffer because of all the spent time spent working? No. Any other questions? (laughs) Well, let let me expand on that a little bit. Wow. When we talk about goals, if you go to 48days.com forward slash goals and fill that out I ask a whole lot of questions about what you want your life to look like that don't have anything to do with money. What do you want your life to be like physically? What do you want it to be like in personal development? What do you want it to be like in family, spiritual vitality? You know, there's a whole lot of things that are important areas that are definers of success. Money is not. People won't remember your money Ten minutes after you're gone, they'll remember other things about your legacy, how you invested in their lives, how you invested time with your children. I mean, those things will be remembered. When I think about I I had a young, young dad just yesterday ask me. He's got a very profitable online business, but he also has four small children. He said, How did you make it work? He said, You know, if, if you have a job somewhere, you go to work, you come home at five o'clock and it's over. You can then spend time with family, you know, weekends, evenings. How do you make that work when you have your own business where there can be no off switch unless you, I mean, if you allow it, there can be no off switch. How do you make it work? And I said, you know what? I was always available for my kids. When Kevin, my oldest hit 10 years old, I mean, I had, I had an auto accessories business. We were busting it. We were doing really well and just growing exponentially. He started BMX racing at 10 years old. My gosh, there were week after week after week, we would leave on Thursday afternoon and come back on Monday because we'd go somewhere and race. I helped him advance in his racing. I mean, we spent tons of time and certainly money, but I didn't, you know, that wasn't a big compromise. I mean, that was important. Here's my oldest son, interested in that. Next son came along, we did a lot of the same kind of things. Then we got our precious little girl came along. Wow. You know, I was available for them. We did things together as a family. Uh, I joked with this young dad I was talking to. I said when my daughter Ashley, who many of you know, very active in mean, and she's worked with me in the 48 Days Community now for 14 years. Ever since she graduated from college, she's never had another job. She's worked with her daddy because that's what she wanted to do. That's what she grew up with. And she wanted to continue that. And it's just amazing in helping me continue to accomplish things in 48 days. When she got married, her husband, Nathan, um, had his, one of his first jobs was the BB&T Bank. So he'd run home for lunch, you know, on a beautiful Thursday, eat lunch And he'd look at his watch and say, well, I need to leave. You know, I need to be back at work in 20 minutes. And she's like, what do you mean you have to leave? Can't you, can't we go to the park this afternoon? It's a beautiful day. She had never grown up with a daddy who had to go to work, a daddy who wasn't available to go to the park on a pretty day or just do things fun together as a family. You know, that's her own pattern at this point where they live entirely, entirely on the road. Every day as a new adventure with their three little girls now. But, you know, we grew up with that. Don't, don't sacrifice this time. I mean, $107,000 that you made this year. I mean, I don't know what your lifestyle needs are, but that certainly seems to be pretty significant to be in that range. Now here's another part. And of course, there's another part. There's always more to the story with me because It doesn't have to be an either or choice. If you want to make $160,000, I think you're perfectly set up to do that. But if you go from 107 to 160 with exactly the same income model where you get paid per report as a real estate appraiser, so you have to do more instead of doing four a day. Now you need to do six and you need to add one in the weekend and you need to do six on Saturday and five on Sunday. No that you cannot do that, that there's too many compromises there. You're trading a little bit of success in one area for massive success reduction in some other areas. That's not what we consider success. All you're doing is making money. You can be a dramatic failure, and make a lot of money. I mean, I don't need to mention names. We know a whole lot of people who are bazillionaires, who we would not consider successes in any definition because of what a disastrous mess they've left around them. Don't do that. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Take the skill that you have and look at how you can leverage that in other ways. Could you do an ebook? On how to be so successful as a real estate appraiser? Absolutely. You know, put that out there. And so we've got a difference let me just look here. We've got a difference of,, um, eh, roughly 50,000 dollars between your 107 and what you could set as a goal. So 50,000 dollars. Well, let's say that you put out a little ebook, and so you've got that little ebook, and you put it out there and you charge 17 dollars for it. And you have over the course of a year. Now, so we have a very inexpensive product, seventeen dollars. And over the course of a year, you have two thousand people, other people who are interested in real estate appraising, who purchased that little ebook. Wow, that's thirty-four thousand dollars. You almost closed the gap just with that. Could you decide that you're going to do through the, a joint effort with your chamber of commerce, you're going to do a Saturday morning workshop? and you're going to make it available, you know, really reasonable. You're going to charge $39 for it. I have a three-hour workshop on how to really explode your success as a real estate appraiser. Okay. Wow. You've got, you know, 20 people that come to that. Well, there's another, you know, close to a thousand dollars. I mean, look for ways that you can do things like that, where it doesn't require just this ongoing time from you but it does allow you to open the door to residual income based on your unique area of expertise. That's what you want to look for. Don't just scale up your income by working more hours. That just doesn't work. Again, when you go over 40 hours a week, you're going to start making compromises in other areas of your life. Great question. God, I love, 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 love what you're doing. Love how you approach it, the whole deal. But, don't compromise your family just in order to make a little bit more money. Get creative and innovative about ways that you can make more money instead. And there's a whole lot of ways that you can do that. Golly, there's a whole lot of ways you can do that. You know, you can do eBooks, you can do courses, you can do seminars. You can have, you know, look at what we're doing with 40 Days Eagles. What if you had a, a, a membership site? A place where other real estate appraisers could come and pay thirty dollars a month to know the latest tips, share secrets, ideas, resources, and all of a sudden, you've got—well, you don't need to have very many in there. <laughs> I mean, if you had, um, if you had two hundred people, that's what six hundred dollars—six hundred dollars a month. I mean, you can start doing the math on that really quickly. I mean, we're quickly moving toward 1,000 people who are paying $30 a month. Well, 1,000 people paying $30 a month, if you have a, an affinity area, something like a common interest, like real estate appraising, it's $30,000 a month. You've totally blown out of the water what you're, you could stay home with your kids all day long if you want to. So don't make the compromise. Look for and solutions rather than either or. Hey, thanks for your questions. As always, again, shoot those in to at 48 dayscom Check out the 48 Days Eagles group if you want to do that, 48dayseagles.com. Get information there and see some of the exciting things that are happening. But thanks overall for being part of this group where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You can tell by the going out music there we're in the season have yourself a merry little christmas for sure hope that you're enjoying the holidays you're getting clear on what your goals are for next year and that those goals include success in every area of your life and have yourself a merry little christmas now